Welcome to Perry's Leadership Couch. Either you're thinking of firing all your employees, locking yourself in the bathroom to scream in disbelief, or starting up your own business and have not slept in the last month, we have the stories from the people who are there or have been there. This is your dose of leadership excellence and survival. So I, I went ahead and hit the record button, so I'll, I'll go ahead and start. And, well, welcome to the podcast. I have with me a very, very old friend. Not that he's old, but that we've been friends for a very long time. His name is uh, David Hassenballer. He's one of the few people that I still stay in touch with that I met during my college days. And see, my dog, my dog apparently agrees. And to date us a little bit, we went to college together. David, we graduated Nine, about 20 years ago. Something like that. 1995-ish. Something like that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh... <laughs> yeah it's been, it's been a, a little jump. Yeah. Oh, and the, the thing to introduce you so people understand a little bit who David is. First off, is he's, he's a great guy. Uh, it's a guy with a with a really really great heart that that I've always had a lot of respect for, uh, mainly because of what I knew of him in college twenty years ago. And and as the years have gone by, uh, his heart has shown throughout his actions. And and his background is, you know, for the first part of his life after college, I remember uh, being in touch with him every once in a while and. And the general conversations were something like, hey, Perry, I'm going to go off to this foreign land with no money and God will provide as I do mission work. And I still remember thinking, my goodness, this man has faith. And, um, <laughs> and it all kind of worked out for him. And, and then he's come yeah. back and and uh, and this is this is a podcast about him. So, David, I, I was wondering, could we start somewhere around there like your your yes, sir. what possessed you to? <laughs> go around the world with no money oh, and gosh. God will provide. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Yeah, that sounds a good place to begin. Um, yeah, when I was 17 years old, this missionary dude from my church is a little crazy. Um, he, um, he was moving to Mexico and he said he was praying for God to help, to give him someone to help him drive one of his vehicles. And he said, God told him me. And, you know, the, a crazy little seventeen-year-old kid. I didn't know no better, and um, and he was driving down to Mexico. So I was going to skip a, a week of school and get to go drive down to Mexico, Acapulco. I'm like, heck yeah, man, I want it. And um, and so on that trip, I the night before I learned how to drive a standard. Um, the next morning we left for Laredo, Texas. The next day, crossed the border. Um. Uh, ran away from some cops at the border, all kind of uh, crazy good stuff like that. Um, did uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. You, you got <laughs> tell me about this whole run away from the cop. That's that, that's good. I want to I want to yeah. hear the details of that one. <laughs> well, it seems like every trip across the border, there's something exciting that's going to happen. And um, and so we get to the border, and I'm driving a Bronco too, and he's driving a Jetta, and I'm following him, and we got walkie talkies keeping in touch. And, um, and we get to the border and we pass through it and he's registering the vehicles and stuff. And then a cop comes walking up to me in the, in the, in the Bronco and says, y'all got to go back through. And so we obeyed and we went back through and then, so they were going to stop us and make us 
they were going to search the, the, the trucks, basically, and give us a fine for whatever we're smuggling across. Not smuggling, but like keyboards and, you know, the, people, the guy's computer and all kind of stuff. And, um, and so um, the guy, they let him go, and they said, you go right, you know. And then when they got to me, they said, you go left, pointing to this gated area and this big you know, eight-foot gates that they wanted me to drive through where they were going to inspect the vehicle. Um, which I'm sure was going to be pleasant. And, and I told the guy that the guy, Steven, that I was following, I said, Hey, they want me to go left. And he says, don't do it. Go right and follow me as fast as you can. So needless to say, I put the pedal to the metal and we peeled off and, rah, and took around the corner and, and was gone. And, and, um, thankfully nobody followed us or anything, but it was, it was kind of scary being a 17 year old sneaking into Mexico, you know? Yeah, um, was was that car a standard that you had just learned to drive also? Yes, yes. So both the Jetta and the Bronco were standards that I learned to drive the night before. So 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 in essence you were fleeing the cops in a foreign country with a standard <laughs> car that you just learned how to drive. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And you, know? you did that to be a missionary. Yeah, well, and that was that was just that was way in the beginning. That was the way in the beginning. Um and so we wound up driving 2,000 miles down to Acapulco, Mexico, before they had the interstates. And so we, oh, man, it was crazy. Just, you know, two-way traffic, and we're dodging around 18-wheelers and all kind of just craziness. And then we get down all the way down to Acapulco. Actually, in Mexico City, we got separated, um, which, um, which, which was actually the beginning of, of a continual history of Mexico City issues. But uh, we got separated. And so I, I'm 17 years old, armed with a walkie-talkie, trying to pull out into traffic. Turns out I was in second gear with this loaded-down Bronco and couldn't get into traffic, you know. And then we got separated by about two miles. And finally, I'm like, hey, I'm trying to come up. I'm trying to catch you, you because know, we had these walkie-talkies. And, uh, and finally, I caught up with them. And then this lady tried to nudge me out of out of position where I was on this six lane interstate in Mexico City, and and so I finally beat her, and it got in behind them, and the traffic stopped, and I slammed into the back of them. So, <laughs> so I on that trip I learned how to drive a standard. I um, snuck across the border and did some illegal stuff, running away from cops, and I got my first wreck. <laughs> so. Oh, and you still wanted to be a missionary. You still well, thought that was a good idea. Oh, no, actually, at the time, I, I wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> but uh, finally, we, we made it down to Acapulco and stayed in the hotel where the old the famous Tarzan used to stay when they were filming the movie down there. And um, wow. and the next morning, I'm at the airport, and the missionary dude looks at me and says, you know, David, if you ever want to be a missionary, give me a call. I'm like, dude, you're crazy. <laughs> you are nuts. And um. No thanks, but yeah, whatever. But um, so what happened is is that next year I just started thinking about my life, you know, and how God had always taken care of me, and you know I was seventeen, I was a man, you know, and um, and I had a nice little job working in a laboratory and doing audiovisual on the side and making some good money, and um, and I was just kind of thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, God's always provided for me, though. You know, I could, and I was getting offered this job at the Hilton Hotel in downtown as an evening supervisor. Um, you know, full time paid position, twenty seven thousand dollars a year. You know, which back then staying at home with mom was big money. You know, and um, yeah, oh yeah, 
And I was offered this job, you know, which was pretty lush, you know. And so I started doing it a little bit. But then I was like thinking about my life and I was about to graduate. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to go to college? Am I going to keep working this job and pay my way through college? Or am I going to go do what God wants me to do? And I knew that that was, you know, go to Bible school, go to college over there in Texas, and then go to Mexico, you know. And I thought it over long and hard. And I personally believe in tithing, you know, and giving the first tenth to God, you know. And so my deal was with him. It's like, all right, God, if I give you the first tenth, you're going to take care of the rest, right? <laughs> you know, no matter what I choose after that, whatever it be, you know, I'm sure you, I, I'm confident that you'll take care of the rest because I gave you the first. And um, <clears throat> and so I made my decision when I was about 18 that I was going to follow God completely in everything. And whatever he says, I was going to do it. And um, and I knew that that meant um, going to Dallas and going to school and preparing and then going to Mexico. And um, and so I did exactly that. I went to went to school in Dallas and, and that's where I met uh, Sir Master Perry and um, and um, started that journey, you know. And then as I was going through through my, my school there, I went on a little mission trip to Brazil and on that mission trip to Brazil. Up until that point, I'd been working and saving all my money and paying for stuff myself. And um, but this mission trip to Brazil was something stood out for me um, as far as the faith part goes. In that, my sister and I were both going to go on this trip, and it was great. And we were trying to get people to sponsor us to go. And um, the night, the day before the trip, the day before we were supposed to get on the plane, uh, we had a meeting with the leader of the group, and each of us only had in half of our money. Uh, so it was like, uh, what was it, $2,500 or something a person? And between the two of us, we only had $2,500. So he came and talked to us, and he said, hey, um, so either one of y'all can go on the trip, or neither of you go on the trip, or both of you can go on the trip, and just, you know, whenever we get back, you'll have to pay the rest of it. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, here we go. And so uh, my sister and I both agreed that both of us should go on that trip. And so we're saying, we're both going on the trip, and we'll, we'll figure it out when we get back, you know? And, um, and so we hopped on a plane the next day and by the time we landed in Brazil, both of our trip had been played for completely. Wow. And how did that, how did that happen? No clue to this day, to this day, I have no clue how, but both of our trips had been completely paid for. And I said, all right. Um, and so then, from then began the, the mathematical equation that I have, um, that I live my uh, standard that I live by nowadays. That if if it's if my intent is to bless God's kingdom and help people, then God's going to pay for it. You know, if my intent is to go and party or go and hang out and do all kinds of stuff, well, I'm going to have to fit, foot the bill. You know, um, but if my intent is to bless God's kingdom, then I I'm confident. I've seen it so many times that God has paid for it. And um, yeah, good. And and this is where you get people. And I've lost half my business owner audience just now. No, just kidding. Well, you know, whatever. This is this is part of what what I always thought was incredible about you because you know you're 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 fit because you eat well and you live a good life, and yet you do that through faith, and and that's something a lot of times that that people don't understand, and and I put myself in that camp. I mean, it's absolutely incredible to. To have that faith in, in business, you just have faith that your business is going to work out. You got a good business plan. Sure. You're, you're, 
mitigating your risks. You know, you're, you're looking at all these thousands and thousands of details, which I, I know that you do too, but what you wrap that around is your, your faith that God will, will provide as you go through it. And I still remember um, when you went to Malaysia, mm-hmm. I think was one of the times that we talked the first time that I think it was, was Malaysia, right? You said, uh, we lived in Singapore um, for a bunch of years. Yeah, something like I need to run seven miles in a specific direction. Can you, <laughs> can you remind me of that? Yeah. I, I thought that was fascinating. Okay, so 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 let me let me get around to it. So I wound up spending eight years down in Mexico um, once I finished school, um, and then the missionary I worked with moved to India for a couple of years, and um, and then he moved to Singapore, and so he invited us to go to Singapore, um, and then I went on. I had to plan a trip to go to Singapore with him. And it was right after the tsunami happened over there. And, um, and he told me, he said, hey, if you come to Singapore, I'm going to take you to Indonesia and Malaysia and a couple different trips. He said, but I'm going to warn you something. He said, you need to be able to run six miles. And now I'm a, I'm a runner. You know, I like to run, but I like to run three miles. <laughs> um, three, four is my max. I get bored after that. And so he said, the reason you got to run six miles, he explained deeper when we got there. He said, because when we take you to Indonesia, if we, things ever get crazy over there, turn around and look for the dust. And I'm like, the dust? And he said, yeah, because that's me running to the airport. And I'm like, okay. He, he said, yeah, if it gets nuts over there, I'm going to run. And he said, I, I'm a big man. He was, he was 240. He said, but I can pull six miles out in the middle of a New Orleans summer heat wave. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And so I started training to be able to run six miles. And, and I guess... I could definitely pull four out any given day. Um, six, <laughs> I have to pull, you know, put a little more effort into. <clears throat> so, how many how many churches um, did did you guys end up seeding, and 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 what what was the result of all that mission work? Okay, so so in Mexico, when I was there, while I was there during the eight years there, um, when I first got there, there was one and a half churches. So there was the main church, and they had just started starting up another, a second one. Uh, about half a mile away from the first one. Um, in our church, we were planning on on the opposite side of Acapulco um, in a place called El Coloso, which means the Colossal, which is the largest housing project in all of the Americas. Um, north, south, anywhere is the largest uh, with 85,000 people within one square mile, which basically everybody that works in Acapulco lives over there. Um, also all the, 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 the workers, you know. Um, and so we started that main, he started the main church. When I got there, we, we were working on the second one. By the time I left, we had 10. Now there's uh, 20, 15, 20 something of them. But not only that, at my, halfway through my time down in Mexico, I took over the youth department and started raising up because the youth were, you know, they, they had somebody's mom doing it. And so, so I wound up taking it over and started building leadership in them. And right now we have, eight of those students that were my students that are living in other countries now um, as missionaries and some of them with their family and they're just living in the other countries. But uh, eight of them are in full-time ministry of some sort and in other countries. Um, but um, so, so that's a great milestone, you know, that, that these yeah. kids that grew up on and now are, are doing this thing. And it wasn't just me. I mean, obviously it's a, it takes a team, you know, um, but um, but that was that's awesome, amazing thing, you know. And so from that that church, 
and the dynamic of, of the leadership that we were training and preparing the people, they went out and same fate. Now, when I say these kids living on the backside of Acapulco, where the average adult man makes $10 a day, you know, a full-time man makes $10 a day, 10 U.S. bucks. And so, um, so for these kids to ever imagine getting a passport first, you know, but then traveling to another country and living in another country, it's, it's far, you know, it's a big jump for them to even imagine that. Um, yeah. And, and just so people understand, this wasn't, this wasn't done like two weeks ago. This is the nineties, right? Yep. The yep. Early two thousands, yep. a different world. And Mexico was a different place back then. I mean, granted, it's kind of slidden back to the to to the shoot 'em up, uh, do drugs place. But <laughs> oh, yeah. but for a while there was peace, and some people kind of remember the good times of Mexico. But the '90s and early 2000s wasn't it. Yeah, yeah, that was not nice. I mean, I, I will say this is that um, well, this is the hard part is that the the town that we were living in, um, the pastor of the church got abducted um, by the uh, cartel and. And his son and several other people had, had gotten abducted from the, by the cartel. And then probably about four, no, less than four miles from where I was living is where they found all the people with their, the, the cartel had killed um, outside of there in Acapulco. Um, like there was 13 people with their heads cut off. Um, so like, oh my gosh. It was a pretty crazy place, you know. So how did you how did you motivate and, and touch these people? I mean, were you were your the staff that worked with you there either foreigners or or, or local? I mean, were you just paying them a lot of money? Because uh, <laughs> 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 you know, in business, that's what you do. You're like, I'm going to send you to a dangerous place. I got to give you 25, 35 percent uplift, and then I got to treat you well so you don't quit. Like, did you do all those things, or, or what? Oh, what did you gosh. do to keep them engaged? <laughs> It is way different from what you're thinking. <laughs> um, no, we don't pay anyone any money. <laughs> if anything, they pay. <laughs> um, I mean, that was the thing is, is um, all the people that were there were volunteers. You know, um, they're paying their own way to be there. Um, which um, we can talk about that here locally as well later on um, in, this, in this broadcast. Um, but, you know, all, all the people that were there were were inspired by by life change in their own lives and and seeing you know a difference and i mean actually physical difference was a, was occurring in their lives you know um i mean one physical thing that you could see in the community is when you you would drive up to the community at night i mean it was this it was on this hill you know on the side of this mountainside and so as you drive up when, you know in the beginning times it was always kind of dark and scary looking you know um but after the years of us being there in this one area, if you were to fly over, it's like the brightest area was where our church and everybody were, you know, because it, it wow. like there was actual physical change happening in the community. You know, that you that was probably one of the safest um, slums to live in that I've ever heard of in my life. You know, there, <laughs> there were no gangs. There was no none of this stuff was going on because um, what we were doing, we were bringing life change. The other, I, I tell you this. This is one thing that's actually I've noticed is the kids that had come through the church, the children of them are taller than their parents, like all of them. And it, because we we didn't just teach you know biblical spiritual knowledge and understanding of things, but natural things as well as eating you know pro, you know the healthy diets. We were teaching holistically, you know, you know just you know what is good um, healthy habits, you know. 
And um, and so like the children were growing taller because now they're eating vegetables instead of just corn tortillas. You know, it's very practical things, and it, like you see the change in the kids. You know, um, you know, and most of them going to college now. Like I said, these you know the students, you know, the children of these parents are now like traveling in other countries and. You're like, man, that was never possible for any of those people. Um, so it's quite amazing. Quite amazing to see so, that. So so you would you would say that that the the kids that actually were involved with the program and, and mm-hmm. were going to these churches that were being seated, o- overall the percentage of them actually doing something with their lives was was a bit different than, than it was one hundred percent other kids? One hundred percent. Um because what one thing that happens um, they, I guess people don't, you know, they say the idle hands is the devil's workshop, right? Um, um, when, when you have a teenager or a kid, you know, a student, whatever, and they are, you know, when they get out of school, if there's nothing to, for them to do, they're going to find something to do and it's probably not going to be good. You know, it's like, that's the perfect time when, you know, usually the lull time when students are getting out of school and then when their parents come home from, from work is the time when kids do the worst things. You know, that's when they get into drugs, alcohol, all kind of craziness, you know? And so we were giving them stuff to do in that lull time. And it was occupying their time and giving them a different purpose and different, you know, what what is good or what is the cool thing to do, you know? Um, and so I, I'm strong, strongly believe that that affected change in, in their, in their, you know, future and then the trajectory of their life, you know? Yeah. And not only believe, I mean, you <clears throat> saw it. With, yeah. the, with the kids growing up because oh, this yeah. again this is 20 years ago i mean oh, yeah. almost oh so yeah you, they they're these are grown people now yep yep grown with kids mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's amazing it's absolutely, absolutely amazing. so and i've always yeah, thought, if, no please go ahead go ahead no no well what i was gonna say is from 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 mexico um my wife and i moved to singapore and we wound up doing the similar thing um got involved with a group there in singapore who had access to the public schools and is the same exact thing. This is one of the most beautiful things I've seen in my life is that um, kids are the same everywhere. You know, kids are the same every single place in the whole world. Um, they just have different things available to them, you know, um, no matter if they're, if they're in a poor area, they still got drugs, but their drugs are not as potent or, or whatever, you know, might be mixed <laughs> yeah, with a different stuff, type you know? of one. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, like here in New Orleans area, we, you know, we, I deal with a lot of schools and such and students and, um, and the kids in New Orleans, you know, they are, you know, got a lot of drug problems. Well, then in the richer area of town, you know, they got a lot of drug problems too. It's just better drugs, you know, <laughs> you know not, not any <laughs> that, different. Less, has less <laughs> fentanyl in it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, but the, the students are still the same, all the same. Um, yeah, so what you were talking about this, about the, the people that were working with us, our team and everybody that was down in Mexico, um, you know, they, like I was saying that they, um, they were all volunteers. They all came with their own, their own, you know, paying their own ticket and doing their own thing themselves. And, um, so sometimes it was, uh, this is fun. Sometimes it was complicated because each one of them were compelled by their own mission, you know, to, um, and they all had their own vision of what they uh, were called to do there, you know? Um, but, um, and so sometimes, um, there were clashes, <laughs> you know, because, yeah. you know, I'm, you know, they're called to do this. I'm called to do this. 
and we're dealing with the same people though. <laughs> and, and so we have a different vision and, and sometimes it took a lot of, a lot of skill and um, patience in order to, to not allow the, the natural clash to, to rule, you know? Um, can, can, can you think of a, a specific time where, where you went through that with somebody that, that you had oh, to work through? I mean, I'm not yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying just names. say their name and give their address. Just could you? <laughs> I know exactly where they live. No, um, so so precisely this is that I was working with the teenagers and and building you know leadership and everything. And so I had groups of them, and we would um, have a weekly service, and I had different ones being leaders in that service and had responsibilities and stuff. And this other person came along and and was also you know doing awesome stuff and had a drama group. And so they would go around and do these um, dramas and, you know, little villages and stuff. And it was really cool with the teenagers. And this person would over would double book. And so it was like we have this standing meeting at a certain time. And this person would come, had come along and double booked on many occasions. And, and like, OK, just tell me, you know, and, um, and and it was complicated getting them to to just convey what their, what their intentions were, you know, and I'm, I'm an easy kind of going guy. Uh, but when they would double book those things and not even let me know, all of a sudden, you know, half my people are gone. And like, well, who's, where's, what's his name? Who's doing this? You know? And so it's very complicated to try and um, map that out with this individual. And then um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say all these things. Um, then you know it it went it went cheap too you know when we went when we actually had a discussion about it um there was accusations that were like whoa where did that come from it has nothing to do with this so it, it was a very immature yeah. immature conversation we were going on uh you know probably on both sides but um but eventually we worked through it and you know, literally was able to find the patience to deal with that person first which was where the issue was and um it was able to convey hey this is a a plan and a strategy we could both work off of, you know, and um, it was complicated. And for a period of time, yeah, it was very complicated. Um, but they, they say in, in missions that that is one of the biggest reasons why people leave is conflict with, with other workers. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so thankfully we were able to get through that without any major issues, you know? Um, and so, you know, today everything's wonderful, you know? on that but it was a, a lesson to be learned you know you know yeah, how, to, yeah. how, to, how to deal with uh, conflicting people who are also um doing something awesome you know yeah and and that's that's the thing that i i think i mean going in, into business a little bit but just are just humans in general right yes it, it's that uh, that's assigning an intention to an action before you know the intention and that creates yeah. so much damn conflict oh heck yeah. because it, it's it could be something benign or out of simply not knowing something like a little bit of ignorance and ignorance is not a bad thing it's just you ignorance is just you not knowing something Lack of information <clears throat> yeah and yep. and because of a little bit of of ignorance maybe on anybody's side something gets done and then you go well it must be because they hate me yeah you know? <laughs> or, or yeah whatever. of course of course and, okay. and this is a Christian organization. And just to, to bring anybody listening to this back into into perspective is is and I just want to round out what, what you said is that mm. these are people who who have paid of their own money, mm -hmm. given of their own time, yep. 
to go help other people yep. with no discernible reward. None. So yep. these people are arriving there. So you can say that the people that are going there, generally speaking, are of the good type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Pretty <laughs> you much. know, when you're paying out of your own pocket, giving your own time and not going to get any discernible, like nobody's patting you on the bat. Nobody's mm -hmm. giving you an award. You no, know, you're not getting any money. You're just you're just going to go and come back. And and your only reward is, is the hope that you made yeah. a, made an impact. You're a good person. Mm -hmm. And even with that. You you end up with those type of conflicts, even with people with with hearts like that. You end yeah. up with uh, that type oh, of yeah. conflict. Yeah, it is it is a common thing, actually, common quite common thing. Um, so, they, what, what do you think is the key things that, that that you that you did with this person? And and you know, sometimes it's closing the door and just yelling at each other. And God knows I've done that. <laughs> but, but but what were the things that you think you did with them, or, or that they did that that managed to make that work out? Um, well, first of all, I will tell you this. There is a door. There's a door in El Coloso, Acapulco, Mexico, that has a D-cell battery lodged in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, later that evening as I went home, <laughs> I guess the only thing I could find at the time was a D-cell battery. <laughs> And it went through the door in my in my bedroom. So, and I fixed the hole in the door, but the D cell battery's still down in there. <laughs> um, I don't know, you know, what twenty years does to a D cell battery in high humidity, but whatever. Uh, I'm sure it's leaking. Um, but um, so what? What I wound up having to do is just have go have a one on one with the person, and just say, hey, you know, basically everything you just said is, hey, we both here, we both have the same intent. Um, let's get it on the calendar, you know, let's, let's, you know, find out a, a way that we can work it together, you know, cause I'm, I'm perfectly, I'm a really easygoing kind of guy and, um, you know, everybody likes the attaboys, but I, you know, I don't really need them. I'm not working for that, you know? Um, and, and so, but I, so the, the success is not, I don't picture it written, you know, by, by that, you know? Um, <clears throat> and so, so I just went and talked to them and I said, Hey, you know, I understand what you're doing is valuable, and um, I probably did, it probably didn't come out this eloquently, but um, you know, I understand what you're doing is valuable, and and it's valuable to me too because it's bringing life to these kids and giving them something to, you know, another area of growth, you know, and um, and but I want to work together, you know, and figure out how we can do this. And if you've got something scheduled, let me know, and I'll change what I'm doing, and I'll even bring the rest of these kids to help support you guys. Um, you know, because the, our agendas were the same, which was to bring leadership and excellence in these kids and, you know, and have them, um, reaching out into other people, you know, and such like that. And, and so that's what I wound up doing. And, um, so the next time that she had something planned on that day, when we also had something planned, I closed my thing and I just brought them with it and it wound up being spectacular, you know? Um, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with taking the humble road. You know, I'll totally, you know, just taking it. Hey, let's let's build your business, you know, kind of deal. Um, and it wound up being successful, you know. And then from then on, we never, ever had a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, something to, to go along those lines <clears throat> is is I always say, you know, I'm not trying to be right. I'm trying to do right. Mm -hmm. And and that humility that, that you show that you showed in that and that situation is is part of what. I think is a, is a core tenet of leading anybody in anything. 
Yeah. Because if you're just trying to be right, you're, you're not yeah. going to lead anybody up to, except to a ditch. I mean, you'll successfully, and you'll probably be in the ditch by yourself, but to, to lead people, you have to have that mentality of, look, you know, what matters is the overall goal, you know, how I want to do it, how you want to do it. None, none of that matters except if we can mold it in such a way where we get to the goal. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and that's True. something that so many people, they just lose sight of it. They just yeah. they want something their way. They feel it's the right way. And yeah. if it's not done that way, then, then, you know, God's going to come down from the heavens and hit people with lightning bolts. You know, it's like, well, yeah. probably not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, I, and I, I will, I will tell you, that's incredible. I didn't come to that conclusion right away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, this is 20 years ago. How old were you back then? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm 46 now, so you know whatever. 22 years ago, that was 97. That was like 97 when that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. that was good. <laughs> that was really good. So 22 yeah. years ago. Yep. Um, but uh, but like like I said, that D cell battery, you know, <laughs> it's there. <laughs> it's it's the proof of that it didn't come quick. You know, it took me probably. <laughs> I probably fought through that for a couple of days, maybe. Even, you know? um, yeah, and that's that's so normal. I mean, it, it's it, it doesn't mean that you don't get pissed. It just means that you can see through being pissed. And again, it's being you you were in your twenties. I mean, sure. when you're in your twenties, you 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 know the hole in the ground and the hole on your body are, are different, difficult to distinguish. You know, sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. sure. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So so. How, how mm-hmm. did you end up? Uh, so you went to Singapore, mm-hmm. and after you established all those churches in in Mexico, mm-hmm. and and how did how did Singapore pan out? Like what what was different about it? What did you what did you learn uh, new in Singapore? Because then you were a little bit older too. Sure, sure. So um, so I, after being in Mexico eight years, and during the course of that time, I got married and brought my wife down to Mexico with me. Um, in our transition to Singapore. Um, we were, we found out she was pregnant with our first child. So we decided to stay home and then we had a Katrina right afterwards, a hurricane Katrina. Um, and so she Mm -hmm. was five months pregnant when that happened. That was fun. Um, (laughs) and, um, and I actually was on a flight to, um, Singapore the day of the storm. And I was, uh, walking through the airport in Hong Kong and saw the mayor of New Orleans on TV (laughs) cursing like an idiot with love, lots of love. Um, but he, um, and then I, I'm like, oh my God, you know, and so I want to, my first trip to Singapore to find a house and do those basic things, um, uh, was, was while she was pregnant going through, through Hurricane Katrina. So that was fun. Um, but we wound up staying here in the States for a couple, um, from almost a year after. So when the baby was born about seven more months and then we went to Singapore and in Singapore, um, the same missionary guy that we'd worked with in Mexico was there. And he's the one that invited us to go check it out. And, um, and so we were like, yeah, let's do this. And so we moved there and we started working with the church that he was starting. And then we um, do in the next year. Or so we got connected with a, an, another church as a youth church um, because the church he was working with was under this Indian pastor who was a complicated fellow. Um, who, uh, <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. he was interesting. He had a lot of uh, political agendas um for joining with our church and I'm, I'm still to this day i don't know what it is i'm glad we're not connected with him um because it was, it was a little weird dealing with him um i mean one of the, the big things that i saw in singapore that that um 
was was the among the races they didn't get along too well, which was really surprised me. You know, um, it's yeah. a beautiful country, it's amazing, but man, they they suck as can fight. You know, um, and um, but so when we get over to Singapore, uh, we started working with this youth church who had access to the public schools, and um, same same kind of scenario um, where we're uh, there of our own volition, raising funding in order to be there along with these other guys that are also doing the same thing. And, um, but now this church had access to the public schools. And so we joined up with them. Um, and, um, and it was a different, it was a total different animal from, from Mexico, you know? Um, but the people were, were exactly the same, just beautiful, you know, just really great people, you know, it was really amazing to work with them. Um, and so we would, from then, Man, I went on uh, several trips to Indonesia with that with the pastor of that church, who who by the way is blind, one hundred percent blind, and so I got to lead a wow. blind man into Indonesia, <laughs> so that was fun, um, and with with a couple of youth with us, you know. But he can't see the dust, though, <laughs> <sighs> and that was the complicated part, you know. <laughs> And, you know, and I would literally lead him. He'd put his hand on my shoulder and I'd walk around wherever we were going and he'd follow me. And so you had to be careful doing that. You know, they say blind leading the blind. So you can't like text and, <laughs> and walk with when you're leading someone who's blind. <laughs> you that's know, right. it's bad, you know, because you go around that pole, but he didn't, you know. Um, <laughs> Suddenly, where's that hand on yeah. my shoulder? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so no, but he was, he was great. He's from Singapore. Um, he's a Chinese translator to English, um, and a really, really great guy, um, named Paul. And so I wound up working with him for the remainder of my time there. And, um, and we were starting doing a youth church kind of deal and, um, had a lot of first generation, um, um, believers and, um, and came with a lot of complications, you know, family issues that, that wouldn't have imagined, you know, um, you know, abuse when, you know, things changed, you know, in their family, you know, religious beliefs, you know, it was, it was really kind of complicated. Um, but, um, but still yeah, yeah, amazing, just amazing seeing, you know, the people, um, you know, how they, how they love people, you know? Yeah. It was quite amazing. Over there, we got to experience some, some different things as far as, you know, there's a leadership possible conversation here going on and so one of the things over there dealing with was was a higher church hierarchy you know and that some people would come to um to join the group and learn because it was also a missions training school and um and then you know some people would come in and for a period of time and and move on to other countries and such and um uh, and then some people would come and linger and it was it wound up being complicated for those that lingered you know um because it was not set up to be a, a church or a pastoral kind of situation. And so that was an interesting dealing with them and coaching them. Hey, you know, this is the next step. You know, that's kind of what my, my wife and I, our role was to coach them into the next step. Okay. Now that you took this class and you're trained, now let's go find somewhere, you know, for you to become who you are, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was an interesting new thing, you know? So basically, you were a faith-based incubator. Is that like yeah. translating into business lingo? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. That's exactly right. So, so they now. I, I thought I I do think it's real interesting uh, that you mentioned about the the cultural differences. What you know, if somebody in the family uh, changes their their religion and Ooh, yeah. and the challenges that happen because 
And the reason I find it beyond the fact that I just find it interesting in general, but mm. from a business perspective, uh, you know, so those, those who are still still be listening by now is is that inside organizations we have those cultures. Yes, yes. I mean, companies are global. You have Muslims working with Christians who are working mm-hmm. with, with you know, if, pick your religion. It's just sure. a, it's, it's a hodgepodge. Yep. And then you have your atheists, you know. So <laughs> the one that thinks you're all all of you are nuts for praying to somebody, you know. How how did you help them through that? that struggle that they faced with their families and, and maybe even society sure. at that time when they decided, Hey, look, I believe something different now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal. Um, I mean, we had, I mean, I'm talking with teenagers, you know, um, that, uh, we had several of them that when their parents found out that they were believing something different were I, one girl in particular was beaten with, um, with a, um, a fire poking iron. You know, by her, by her parents. I'm like, whoa, you know, that didn't happen. In, uh, that doesn't happen too much in our world. Yeah, exactly. And, and in corporate America, you you can't. Uh, although I know there's people who would like to beat their employees with the poking iron, but so, so yeah, <laughs> generally frowned upon. You know, let's take that, that into corporate. You know, it's like um, one thing that that I I see sometimes is that people get trained under a certain mentality. You know, and so they have this mentality. And then they they learn something, you know, they get put into a different situation where they have to learn new stuff. And it's almost a, you know, could be a clash like that, you know, um, of how things are done in, in our business versus that one. You know, that could be a very large clash. You know, yeah. It- and and that's that's what I think is interesting with what you did. Is it, is there a particular case that that you went through down there in Singapore where where there was a family that was in you know maybe not not in, not the happiest that their that their child or or teenager decided that they're going to believe in something different that you worked through with them? Nope. They I'm sorry to say, but they would not let the gringos talk to the parents of the of the troubled really? kids. No. <laughs> Um, because we're not Singaporeans and so they, <laughs> they wouldn't let us, unfortunately. I'm, I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking, which, which is good because wow. we'd, we'd have messed it all up, you know, <laughs> you know, cause we're not, we're, we're foreigners. Singapore is a, a, a beautiful country and they, their heritage is thick. You know, their heritage as a country is thick and it's good. You know, I like a lot, I like so many things of it. Um, and so the, the, the groups we were working with, kind of kept us gringos away <laughs> for our sake or for their sake whatever i don't know for, for everybody's sake it, it's yeah. probably it's probably wisdom though um yeah yeah, well, yeah i think so, it's funny because i i i see what singapore is today and and mm-hmm. and hear about how it kind of grew into this this powerhouse now yeah, yeah. I, I lived in singapore too Okay. Um, but when I lived there, I was, I want to say five or six years old. So this wow. is over 40 wow. something years ago. It was different. And then. yeah, yeah, it was, it was like any, um, third world country that you, that mm-hmm. you stepped foot in. And I still remember that they would sell the chickens with the head yep. in the market. And my, I loved sucking the brains out of chick. I don't know why. <laughs> I distinctly remember that. I distinctly might remember great. my mom and dad just looking at me like I'm nuts when I'm sitting there sucking at the beak of a chicken head. Man, but that's great. that's great. And I fell in the sewer once. Oh and my. for about 20 years, every time I smelt sewage, I thought of Singapore. Oh, my God. So <laughs> about how clean the country was. To me, oh it was God. like, that's not what I think of when I think Singapore. Oh, that's horrible, man. That is horrible. 
Yikes. Oh. Um, no, yeah, that, I, did, I did not know that Singapore. Um, no, the Singapore I knew was like, oh, there's Ferraris and Lamborghinis rolling down downtown every day. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a different Singapore. <laughs> and, you know, and the funny thing about Singapore is every time we would come back to the States for a short visit, a month or so, when we go back, things had changed and there were new buildings that weren't there before because uh, it's such a fast growing country. Um, and just the change was so rapid. It was amazing. Um, yeah, absolutely beautiful, fun, fun place to live and really great for families, you know? Um, but you know, it was each country that, that I went to, you know, it was, it was, there was always a challenge of learning their culture, you know, um, of learning how they think and what they think and why they think that way. Um, and, um, and one thing that I find that happens I actually, I remember this back from college, you know, kids would come, you know, new kids would come in there. My second year I was an RA, you know, and new kids would come in and they're like bucking the system and fighting and all these rules stink. I'm like, you're paying to be here under these rules. Suck it up. Learn the rules, man. You know, and um, and one, one of the things that I, I like, you know, join in with a new company or, you know, going to a new country, you know, it's like they have their culture and their rules. And if you can spend the first, you know, stint of your time there learning those things it'll make the rest of your time there even more amazing you know but uh but if you're you're buckham you know oh no 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 this is how we used to whatever then you're gonna lose um you know yeah okay. and and that explains a lot of my bruises <laughs> yeah there you go and there you go no um oh. Yeah, and, and just so, so you, so anybody listening knows, I was never an RA in uh, in Bible college. I was the opposite of the yeah. RAs. Yeah. I, I just, you know, yeah. like with Mister Hassenbolder here, I just became really good friends with them, mm-hmm. so I could guilt trip them into not mm-hmm. reporting me. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know, there's there's all kind of ways. You know, I like brownies. You know, I like brownies and cookies and have a sweet tooth. So yeah. Yeah, do you remember uh, the the time in college when they had that announcement of somebody uh, scaling the side of the yes, dorms? Yes, 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 that was you. Yeah, yeah I know, I know, I remember. <laughs> I remember. I, I didn't know if you knew that was oh, me. But... Oh, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Oh. I think you might have told me that that was you, but but I, I knew I it then okay. already. Oh yeah. I think I think it was you that sat me in your room once uh, and said some, something something about me not taking advantage of of <laughs> of the of the th- talents that I had in in a nice way. Perry, like, maybe you should get your crap together. <laughs> oh, you know. Look, I I try to help people, you know, and sometimes it just you know not interested in getting help, you know. I can't. I don't, I've decided a long time ago. I'm not going to make people, you know. I'm not going to make the horse drink the water, you know. You uh, know, I, I I actually want to bring up that conversation we had because I think that's very relative. To right, it. It's also very relative to how how we're still friends. Um, mm-hmm. Now, just to give, give I'm going to give people a, a general backdrop. Is uh, I, I am the, probably the polar opposite uh, upbringing from David. Um, I had a stint that made me go to Bible college, uh, an intervention in my life for a very short period of time. Um, 
and but I'm a rebellious, rambunctious, rule bucking. You know, I mean, I should be living in Texas on the back of a horse shooting yes. pistols in the air. Yes. I mean, that's yes, that's who I am. And <clears throat> David, not so much. And and <laughs> and and in that way, we we differ a little bit. But as we're going, you know, we went through Bible college together, and and it's a blessing that I got to know him. And when we left, we we did very different paths. See, David. David's a good man with a good heart that has been steadfast for most of his life and in, in his beliefs. I've been a guy who's kind of, you know, like I know God exists and I'm aware that I'm going to pay for this later if I don't straighten up, uh, but I'll get around to it. <laughs> and that's and so it's a little bit of different perspective on life. And so after we, we graduated from college, uh, a good a good while after, uh, Dave, David reached out to me and asked how I was doing. And, and we had a nice conversation and kind of what kept us as friends. And I asked him, I said, look, David, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a Bible toting Christian. I'm not a missionary. I'm, you know, and for a while from my life, you see if and I probably was regretting the fact that they let me graduate because I, I've been <laughs> a child for, for about a decade. You know, like, yeah, we, we, this guy didn't graduate from here. Yeah. Um, and I, I said, David, uh, what makes you, you know, what, how are we still talking? Well, you know, you, we talk, we're, we're friends, and uh, you never try to make me come to Jesus again. Do you remember what you told me? Not a clue. That's <laughs> exactly I what you said now. You said, Perry, I, I believe that uh, if you need to come to God again, well, that's his job. I yeah. told you he loves you. You know it. And that's my job. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I could see me saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's um, eh, you know, and that's it. That's it. I'm I'm kind of an easygoing kind of guy, and you know, most people know where they are in life and where they are, you know, and um, in their own you know spirituality and stuff. And you know, last per, last thing I personally want in my life is someone telling me everything I'm doing wrong. You know. Because mm-hmm. uh, I I know it all. I know exactly what I'm doing wrong most of the time. I, I like it when people tell me when, when I mess up and and I didn't see it. Please tell me, you know. Um, yeah. But but just you know, you know, beating people over the head with a Bible don't work, you know. Um, and you know, and you know, we're not called to the. Uh, so I and I'll also see it this way. Um, the one scripture in the Bible it says that um, that the word of God is sharper than a, a two edged sword, you know. Um, and it says it divides between bone and marrow and, and, um, tissue and, and all these different things, you know, and, and I, I personally see it, um, you know, a lot of Christians see it as a broadsword, you know, where, you know, like the old days and the King Arthur, they're going to slice somebody <laughs> with it. And that's stupid. It don't work. Um, I personally see it as more like a scalpel in the hand of a surgeon. You know that at the right time you use the right words and you say the right thing, and 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 it will do the work that needs to be done. You know, and and if you you try and take the Bible and slap somebody with it, and I, you know, if I saw you, I might hit you back myself just for fun. You know, <laughs> um, you know, we we need to make that happen. I'll I'll take it just so we can sit down and, and see each other in person again. Heck yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, I mean if someone else was going to slap you, I, I'd probably get in there and punch them back. You know. Um, yeah, because, because yeah. you know that it, it's fruitless. You know, they they make it their ego stroke and all that stuff. But yeah, that's, that's not that's a waste of time. Um, but as far as you know, you know, I I personally believe that that we are all three parts. 
You know, God, in the beginning, it says he made us in his image. We're body, mind, and spirit. And I believe it this way, is that, I, you know, I'm, I'm from New Orleans. You know, we like to eat, you know? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it, yeah. It says, it, there's a saying that um, here that, that everyone else um, eat to live, but we live to eat. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I believe it. And, and I, we're, we're typically food critics, too, you know, mm-hmm. unofficially, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love, I love the people, but I just spent three weeks in Iowa. <laughs> God, God bless them. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, yeah. one of the other guys that was up there from here, from New Orleans brought a big old pot and he made some jambalaya and, and mm-hmm. my God, and some chili, my God. And that was like the best meal I ate the whole three weeks I was there. <laughs> like with lots of love, lots of love. And so, so all that saying that, um, that I believe were three parts. And our, mm-hmm. if our body doesn't eat, what happens? We get sick and we die, you know? Mm-hmm. We'll eventually die, get weak, and whatever. If our mind doesn't eat, I don't know if you've ever met people that looks like they haven't eaten in a while mentally. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not feeding themselves, you know? And so yeah. you talk to them and you're like, mm, okay, how's football, you know? All right. <laughs> get get on some topic that you can relate on, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. Um, and But the same thing goes spiritually, that, that if we don't eat and we don't feed our spirit, of course we're going to be weak, you know? Um, yeah. And, um, you know, they got that saying that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Uh, but the problem is when most people walk around, their spirit's weak also, you know? And, yeah. of course, you're going to have problems and chaos and jumping out of buildings when the stock market crashes, you know? Kind of stuff yeah. going on because your spirit on the inside of you, the who you are, it, it's a starving, you know? And so, yeah. so I'm, I, th- I usually take a little bit more, a little less um, direct, you you need God kind of I- idea, you know, and I'm more like, hey, you know, you know, if you, you know, God loves you, you know, and, and he's got lots of cool stuff for you, you know, got a whole book full of it. And, um, and if yeah. you're interested, you know, check it out and see what it does for you, you know, check it out, yeah. you know, I challenge, you know, and then I always point them to good sections where, where they're not reading a bunch of crazy genealogy first you know because that sucks you know exactly I, I can't even fun part and i can't even spell pronounce their names those guys you know with lots of love you know i mean they're yeah. very important people but i can't pronounce their names and i get tripped well, up how to spell it you know yeah 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 and and that's one thing that that um you know pe- people who work with me on a on a daily basis or mm-hmm. monthly basis uh you know they, they look at me kind of weird because my background is you know my degree is in theology and yeah. i've done so many things that are outside of the bible yeah uh, to yeah. varying degrees of success some very successful some mm-hmm. <laughs> crash and burn baby mm-hmm. but that's the way life is but the the, the thing that that uh a lot of them don't understand, and and I mentioned this in my first episode of the podcast, is that what I learned a lot in Bible college was how to work with people and the wisdom that's in the Bible. I mean, it doesn't even matter if you're religious. Yeah, they, there there is a tremendous amount of wisdom in there, and it, it's yeah. You know, it, you sit down and you, and you talk about okay, well, if you're not if you're not feeding your spirit, and and that's one of those things. If there's not something that you believe that is worthwhile that you're doing, whether it be God or tying your shoe, it doesn't really matter because it's kind of a blueprint of how your body functions. If you actually read through, you'll see that some of these concepts that psychology is under un- uncovering today or, or in the past decade or so are, are fairly well laid out in the actual Bible. And yeah. You're like, oh, okay, so I, I've got to have something worthwhile 
that I'm pursuing and the stories in the Bible over and over and over and over again uh, tell you that, that you, you need to align yourself up to something and, and, uh, and pursue it. You need to, you need to be around people uh, that will help you get there that are, that want to want the same things that you do. And, and those things are all, they're, they're all in there and they're directly applicable to business. You know, one of the, the person who I got my certification, one of my certifications through was John Maxwell. Hmm. And John Maxwell's a pastor that became a leadership guru that then had number one bestsellers. And, and the reason for that to me is just, you know, being, you know, having gone to Bible college and, and believing in, in God mm-hmm. and reading this stuff. To me, it's so obvious. It's yeah. like, well, it, it's about people. And the Bible just gives you such a great blueprint. And what you did in that conversation that we had, um, it just kind of showed why why you are who you are and 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 why you do have the the qualities of a leader is the fact that you're like look i'm not i'm not here to beat you with the bible in corporate america maybe that's beat you with the regulations of the sure. company or the standard yeah. procedure or whatever sure. right yep because that just doesn't work period it, it there will be a time when you'll come around or i can influence you to come around you know and, and the thing that you said you know people generally know when they're doing something wrong. Oh yeah. Uh, you, you don't have to call them out. Now, if they want, you can talk to them about it. If you're, if you're their boss in corporate America, it's your, it's your duty to talk to them about it. But they, they probably already know, like if they're goofing off during work, trust me, they know more than you do. Oh yeah. <laughs> you don't have to beat them over the head and accuse them of goofing off. They're very well aware they're doing it. And they, they and you have no idea what the extent is. The only only that's they right. do. That's right. They hope you never find out. <laughs> that's right. And beating them over the head with it isn't what's going to get them to change. It, it's getting them to focus on something that they actually want out of the job or out of their life True. that will say, hey, it's not worth goofing around anymore. I shouldn't do this because it's not getting me what I actually want. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really where where a lot of the key is, 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 you know, having somebody understand what it is that they want and have them have contextualize their behavior in some way to understand if that's getting them to where they want to be or not. Most people don't even think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now you, you went from Singapore and you came back to the U S and, and you got involved in an organization here that I, that I thought was, was uh, great. Uh, based on what you were telling me about it, where you where you're working with kids inside of schools yep. uh, in mm-hmm. in underserved, could could you kind of like what what all were you doing there? All right. So um, yeah, so when I was in Singapore, my sister, my younger sister, got involved with this group called Next Generation, and um, here in New Orleans, and they were going into the public schools and um, bringing pizza and counseling students, and um, and so whenever we were coming back to the States, uh, we'd go visit my church and stuff. And, and we were finding like all these kids in my church that were inner city, New Orleans kids. They were having like these great problems at home and stuff. And, and so when she told me about that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's what New Orleans needs, you know. And so we came back for that next visit. And then that's when we felt, like, hey, we need to move back to New Orleans. And so we closed up shop in Singapore, came back to New Orleans, you know, and, and joined in with them. And at the time, they were in 26 public schools during lunch um, each week. And so would basically be bringing pizza and gather up the students in the gym or the auditorium and then talk with them about their life and counsel them. And, and, um, and from, from a Christian perspective, obviously, um, 
and then we we would um when i joined in as well you know um we would go in and and we would just talk with them about everything that they were dealing with but real down to earth not spiritual you know all jazzy jazzy you know turn and burn or you need god stuff you know but but just real practical stuff and then and then we would pray for them and 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 man and we start to see kids lives change you know as they started they stopped messing around with their girlfriends they stopped doing all this stuff and getting you know hanging out with the druggies and all that you know and um and got to see so many kids lives that were just completely turned around um and then so i worked with them uh for the next 10 years actually until just recently this past march um so now in march we were in before the covid thing uh we were currently in 50 schools every week um seeing over 5000 students you know every single week and most of them are not good kids you know these are kids who they come either cuz they're hungry and we're bringing a pizza <laughs> or they're coming uh because they know you know they come regularly because they know that what we're talking about is real stuff you know and we're we're in their face you know with real terms and real issues you know that they're dealing with you know about you know not getting your girlfriend pregnant not you know doing i mean very practical <laughs> stuff you know you know <laughs> that, that's a very not get your girlfriend pregnant very practical stuff i, I love that, <laughs> that, you know, that statement. it's it's like because we're, we're trying to build these kids we're trying to change this generation you know and and that is a biggie, you know, here. I don't know about you guys in New York, but in New Orleans, you know, that is one of the biggest issues is drugs and, and pregnancy, you know. And, I mean, I came across this one school I was at. Um, there was a young girl that was pregnant. And so afterwards, I'm like, hey, yeah, talk to me afterwards, you know. And so I started asking, you know, I've got three kids now. I'm like, so you, are you connected with a group? You got any support? What's going on? When's the baby due? I mean, she's big and pregnant. She had like a month left. And so, wow. it, and her boyfriend was there. And so he came over and I'm like, okay, hey, you know, I started coaching him on, you know, life's going to change you know, after baby comes, you know, what, are you planning on sticking around? What's your problem? You know, you know, real straightforward with him. And, um, and the young man said, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm here for the, I'm here for the, this is my child. I'm excited, you know, and it's going to be good. And then, so I started, you know, talking to them both about it all. And then the mom, the girl stopped me and she said, well, 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 wait up, Mr. David, uh, this is my second. And I was like, what? <laughs> kind of stopped me dead in my tracks. You know, she's how, 16, how old was she again? 16 years old in 10th grade. Wow. There's a second kid. I was like, okay, well, you know what? You know a lot of this stuff already. <laughs> All right. Um, so, but um, I saw her afterwards. The dude left, you know, he didn't hang around. And now she, grandma's take care of two kids. You know, and she was still trying to finish school, which is good, you know. I was glad to see her in school again. Um, but yeah, you know, just some real stuff like that that we're, we're trying to coach them with. You know, hey, don't do this. Do this. You know, and give them some ideas that, that maybe they're not getting from anywhere else. You know, because, uh, you know, TV and everything else is teaching them the opposite. Yeah, and that's I think that's something that a lot of people gloss over because if if unless you live in, in those communities, you don't you don't see what life is like there or what their school is like or, or what their culture is like. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, to be honest, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know many people now that live in a community like that, except for, you know, not friends of mine, at least I have acquaintances that do, but nobody that I know well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you just don't get to see what the real challenges are inside of those communities. So anybody yeah. who's, who's willing to, 
to give of themselves to do that. And, and, and there too, you, you work with a lot of, a lot of highly paid volunteers again, right? With you guys yeah. paying them six figures to yeah, get them totally, to totally. do a good job. So, so one of the keys that, I mean, we're like, I was telling you, it's me and my sister and we had four other people on our staff. Um, each of us raise our own funding to do this. And then we put on a big gala each year in, in August um, to raise money for all the pizzas that we use and also a golf tournament in the spring. And, um, and all this was to f- raise funding for the whole project, you know, um, <clears throat> not a whole bunch of corporate sponsors, you know, just local people here wanting to get behind it. Um, and then, but the strategy was, is, you know, five or six of us and we're in 50 schools every week, you know, not to mention, you know, all the, all the office work that has to get done and everything that with every, you know, organization. Um, but what we did is, uh, we would, uh, reach out to the local churches. And so we had a list of probably 130 volunteers that would go with us each week into these schools because you can't go in by yourself carrying pizza or you'll get mugged, you know? Yeah. Um, These weren't the high end schools of town, right? Yes. No, no. You weren't going into the rich areas. No, uh, this is not private schools. Mm -mm -mm. No, and um, and many, 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 many times I cannot count how many times pizzas got stolen. You know, <laughs> you're up there talking to the kids, and somebody runs across the back of the classroom, and he's out with a t- with two pizzas. <laughs> like, who was that? We don't know. Nobody saw it. Nobody knows. But everybody's out pizza. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And so now we got 80 kids in the classroom, and we don't have enough pizza for all of them. So then we're going to have some fun times. So we usually bring a bag of candy or two just for in case, you know. Um, wait, wait. This happens often enough that you actually have a plan B for the pizza? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so what we had to do is we, ha- we, we built teams of volunteers for each school. So there would be four or five volunteers at each school with us um, who were from local churches. They could then follow up with the kids, you know, if they're going through crisis, or whatever, they would be the ones to, to monitor it and, and work, walk through it with them, you know? Yeah. And so, so managing, managing, you know, 140 something volunteers is always fun, you know, <laughs> from different backgrounds, different churches, different cultures, you know? Um, so that was always exciting. And, and did all of these volunteers get any kind of salary or, or did nothing. most of them just no, 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 nothing. nothing. No. Um, now some of them got a salary through their church. They might, or they might've been part timers, but no, it's all just truly inspired by wanting to help the youth of our city, you know? And, and um, did you guys get government funding? Did anybody come <laughs> no up? No way. And, you know, somebody from the local government, the mayor came in and no. gave you a big check. No, no. No, no, no. Provide you a bunch of psychologists and counselors yeah, to help that, you. Yeah, that happened, right? No, <laughs> not, even, not even. No, it was it was just one hundred percent us making it happen. You know. Tell me what 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 is what? Can you think of a of a, of a challenging time or or just? I, I guess there's a lot of them, right? So how did you get these these people to to agree to come do this in the first place? And and then continue because they have to. It's like a job. You can't just drop that. You can't come into a school, mentor a kid, and then bugger off, right? I no, mean, you can't no, disappear because that's exactly what you're fighting what, against. That's what we're fighting against: disappearing families. Yep. 
So um, how do you get these volunteers to actually follow through? So, well, what we would do is we would show them the fruit from it. Um, we would take them to the schools. And most of, most of the people were youth pastors or concerned parents, you know. The concerned parents were easy, you know, because they have teenagers and they know or they went to that high school, you know. Um, uh, but a lot of the, like the youth pastors or different people from churches, we would um, just go we say, hey, I want you to come see what we're doing. We're doing this over here in this school right next to where you're working or right next to your church or in your community, you know. And so and this is how actually we got most of our funding is um, also business people would bring them to um, to go see a school that maybe they went to or one that the students walk in front of their building, you know. And you know, it was a little bit of manipulation there, but you know, it's just a smart, smart business, I guess. Um, you know, and and so these kids walk in front of your building with their uniform every day, right? You know, and um, and so they would come and see. Once they saw it, and they saw how how easy it was. I mean, and we would try and bring them to a school that was um, not as um, let's say dangerous, you know. And um, yeah, yeah, your your future volunteers and and donors shouldn't. Oh, wow. <laughs> be placed in danger before they give you money, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, um, so yeah, that was, that was part of it. We would have to, um, you know, we coach them into it and, and say, Hey, come see what we're doing and um, come see it for yourself. Come see that it's not hard, you know, that it's, that it's actually okay, you know, and they won't kill you. They won't eat you, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and so that was, um, you know, of 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 very sell, strong selling point. You know, and then so like I remember one guy, he was he was the, the the son of the pastor, and it was a big church, and he came with us to came with me to a school, and he was the youth pastor at the time, and it was a big school. We had like three hundred students in across three lunches, like three fifty, I think it was, and um and so he would come in there, and and I'm like, yeah, just come and hang out with me, come see what we do, you know, and it took him took me a long time to get him to come. And then finally he came and it was a great school, you know, with the, the principal loved us and she was just all on board with what we're doing. And, um, and he came in there and, um, during the course of it, um, we, we, uh, man, we would talk about all kind of stuff and just make direct connections between the students and these volunteers. So that, you know, if they had a crisis or something, they would know who to call, you know, like the ghostbusters, you know, who are you going to call, you know? And so we, we would do these different things to make that easy for them you know um i'll tell that in a second but this guy had him come and and i was, I was like in the beginning of the of the class we had I mean, 120 kids in the first lunch and um and i mean these are high school students coming in during their lunch you know and um and so you know they're all kind of antsy anyway you know and i'm like how many of you kids go to this church over here how many of y'all go to this church you go to any church at all you know and then a couple like there were like 30 kids that went to his church that he had never met before. And um, so they were quote unquote members of his church, but they weren't part of his youth group, you know? And that took him back so far. It, it not, it, he's like, oh, David, I have to be here. Those are my kids and I don't even know it, you know? And I'm like, hey, yeah. these are kids that you're supposed to be influencing, but you're not for whatever reason, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and um, But they're aligned with you some kind of way. But anyway. But, you know, one one scenario I've done several occasions when we would talk about depression or uh, suicide is, you know, because, you know, the principals gave us full communication with these students. They're like, please get them to connect with you guys, you know, because 
because you know all of our people who would go with us were vetted and background checked and like you know we wouldn't let any any weirdos in with us you know um because we love the kids we don't want anything to happen to them so we'd, we'd vet them pretty tight you know and training and all kind of stuff um and so we would do, I'd do a thing i'm like hey you know you know through the course of the thing I, but in the beginning i talk about I say, how many of y'all want to earn five extra slices of pizza? You know, and they're like, oh heck yeah, they go nuts, you know. And um, and I said, okay, I'm gonna text y'all a number, or I'm gonna call out a number, and the first person that can text to this number and put your name, your your school, and and your grade to this number wins five slices of pizza, right? And so I call out this number, and every one of 120 something kids text to this number and it's the dude that's standing next to me you know and so he pulls up his phone and it's lit up you know with 120 <laughs> text and he's like oh my god i can't believe you did that to me you know but um and then i was and then i do that for however many volunteers we had there usually three or four and so if they didn't get the first guy maybe they, and so whoever hit that first one he got five extra slices of pizza you know and then uh i do that you know the three or four times and then we would start talking about depression and suicide and so then at the end of the whole thing, you know, I, you know, I'm talking about what happens. What are you going to do when your mom dies and you may, you have to go live with your dad that you never knew before, you know, or this happens, you fail out of school or your girlfriend gets pregnant and you feel that you come to the end of your rope and you think you want to kill yourself. What are you going to do? And the, obviously the crowd is silent, dead silent. And I'm like, well, who, who are you going to call at that moment? And they're all like, I don't know. Who would I call? I said, who's someone that will be there for you when you feel like you're going you're gonna to let go of that rope that you're barely hanging on by? Who are you going to call? And they, they have no idea. And I said, pull up in your phones. Everyone, you pull up in your phones right now. And they're like, huh? And they're like, what is he making us do? You know, they're confused. And I said, who's the last person you texted? And they're like, I don't know. It's an unknown number. I said, that's John. Write his name in there. When you find yourself that you're at the end of your rope and you don't know who to call, you call John. He's here every week volunteering because he loves you. We care about you. We're here to help you when you have no one else. And my God, it is it's so powerful. Every time we do that, the kids, you can see their faces like, wow. You know, you can feel that they feel loved, you know, that someone is there for them when no one else is, you know. And uh, man, it's such a powerful. And then that day afterwards, these guys are all talking with those students. It is like the Clinton. We we usually do that one um, right around no, like um, the middle of um, the first or second week of December, because what happens is every year, November and December, for Thanksgiving and Hall and Christmas, these kids are now forced to be home with their families that are crazy for a week or two weeks. You know. And so we find the majority of our suicides in January, you know, after they're forced to be home, January and then March, you know, after they've been home with their families for two weeks, you know, and then, and then after they broke up with their girlfriends from February, you know, um, that's when we see the majority of our suicides. So, so, you know, giving them a real tool, someone that they can literally call that's in their phone already, you know, not, not that hotline number that, you know, nobody can remember the number. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's incredible. Are you still there, that, Yeah, yeah, okay, no, I'm I'm listening. No, that that's absolutely incredible, and yeah. and that's just you know, the, thank God people are out there doing doing things like that, and and wow, 
I mean, I, I was listening to the story, just think to myself. Yeah. I mean, I was I was feeling teary eyed when I <laughs> when I heard you say it. So yeah. yeah, you know, I can't even imagine what it what it would be like for them, and and, and also just talking about the you know understanding that they go home to 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 homes that are not you know they're just they're just broken homes that they that they go into. Yeah. And I never knew that that that, that was the case that they they yeah. go home for the holidays, you know, most people are happy that they're going to be home with their family and you know the highest rate of suicide for you guys is right after they go home with their family. It's a completely yep. different world for them. Yep. Yep, completely different. And we have no idea. You know, another one that's a big one here in New Orleans is the Saints games. You know, growing up, kids growing up in these bad areas, you know, and their parent, the Saints games was for the parents. You know, the kids are all pushed off in another room while the drunken party goes on out there. And if the Saints lose, now you got an angry drunk, whoever he is, you know, comes and beats you. And so we we see so many fights at schools the week, you know, the week after the Saints lose like ridiculous like anytime they lose it's like the the presence on campus is changed you know and it's because of that you know isn't that crazy yeah i mean and that that's you know this is a leadership podcast so i'm going to sure. turn it into that a little bit but but th that just shows a lack of leadership at every damn level right i, yeah. I mean All over it's you don't have it at the school. You don't have yep. it at your home. You don't, mm -hmm. you just don't have it. And I mean, when you, when you, and granted you're a kid, you're 15 and, and sure when I was a kid, sometimes I didn't really need much of a reason to punch anybody, but sure. the, you know, that that's, you know, I also grew up with my dad traveling around the world where I was mostly on the streets and uh, mm -hmm. not in a bad way, but you know, I didn't have that, that leadership there. Well, I mean, when my dad was there, it was there. I mean, that belt was, you know, I'm very familiar with it, but when he wasn't, it wasn't. And for these kids to, you know, to suffer that from their home and then they come back into school and they understand that that's okay, you know, being able to at least reach them. And sometimes it's kind of like, well, if you reach them and you don't fix the home, like, what are you doing? You know, and, and, and it, it just must make it so much more difficult to find, find success at the end when you're dealing with the byproduct of a broken home. Yeah. And you can't fix the home at all. You know, it's yeah. like, I got to make this kid so strong that they can make their way through life, even though they have to go through this type of home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Because unfortunately, we can't take them out of the homes, you know? Um, yeah. Yes, indeed. There's, there's so many different things, but um, anyway. Um, yeah, and I, I know this this might be tugging at you because you because you just you just stopped doing that and, <laughs> and started a new venture. So I know some some deep seated guilt might. <laughs> no, it's not it's not guilt, not guilt, but yeah, it is. It still tugs at me, you know. Just um the just the the thousands and thousands of kids that 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 don't have good leadership. Um, well, yeah, my my older brother makes jokes and he says, anytime something happens and one of the kids does something crazy, you know, and he says, I chalk it up to bad parenting, you know, and funny as he is and joking as he is, a good majority of what's going on in our world society is, is that or lack of parenting. Yeah. And that's some of it. Like, it's not even bad. It's just that it's not there. Yep. You know, and, and then sometimes when it's there, it's like what you said, after the Saints game, your dad comes out and beats the crap out of you because they lost. Um, 
you know, what, what do you, what, what's your view of the world after that when you're a kid? Yeah. 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 Precisely. Yeah. Um, so moving on to something a little bit more happy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now you're off to a new venture and that, that kind of goes uh, closer to this. And, and, um, so you, you decided that at, at this point you want to start building, building things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So tell, tell me a little bit about that. And, and, um, and then just, I know that we're, we're over the hour by, by a bit. So if you want to give a little, uh, I, I, you know, again, I don't know, maybe five people listen to this podcast. Who knows? Sure. Sure. Uh, just in case, tell, tell people um, who, who you are, what you do, kind of leave some information. Go ahead. All right. So um, through the course of my history in life, I've learned how to build things and um, I'm pretty good at it. And so I um, uh, when I was working in schools, I was always doing construction jobs on the side. So I started uh, my construction business a year and a half ago called Hasbro Construction um, down in New Orleans area. And now um, I resigned officially from Next Generation, which actually let me give you a little plug quick is nextgenclubs.com, um, nextgenclubs with an S.com. And that is the organization that goes into public schools all over Great New Orleans area and actually can go pretty much anywhere that you might be that some public schools need help, you know. Um, so there's that. Look, check them out, nextgenclubs.com. But um, Hasbro Construction is the name of my organization, and we do basically everything residential so far. Um, and, um, uh, from backyard fun things, um, built a beautiful patio for a girl that was about to have a wedding at her house, um, a couple weeks ago, um, gorgeous, gorgeous patio. And so they had the wedding underneath it and, um, and then all interior design work, bathrooms, kitchens, everything. So basically anything that needs to be done in a house, we can do it. And if somebody wanted to call you, what mm -hmm. would they do? They would call me at my phone number, uh, 504-564-5170 is my phone number. Web, do you have a website up? I do not have a website. I don't we want them to see that. my stuff. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's beautiful that you look at it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time, I tell people, show me what you want and then let us build it for you. You know, take some pictures, you know, of what you're thinking about and then, um, and then we can build it for you. You know, show me what what the place looks like right now, and then what you'd like it to look like, and I can do that. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll do a website sometime, I'm sure. Um, there's some mediocre on on Facebook, but like I said, mediocre. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, people have a way to contact you, and and mm -hmm. one thing that uh, you know, in, in you know, I've always had a lot of respect for you, David, and and mm -hmm. the reason that that I have is that that I, I've just always known that you've had such a good heart and and you're a stand-up guy you know and that, that's in this in this world that, that's i'm not saying it's lacking because it's really not i mean a lot of people have a good heart they just don't know it yet you know what yeah. i mean it's yeah they've got a great heart but they're just they just haven't quite found it or it hasn't quite mm -hmm. come out okay. but um but let's let's just say to to say it properly is that yours yours came out over 20 years ago and and you've been well, consistent you. with it through yep. through over two decades so you know, just as far as I'm concerned, you know, if you if you do need anything done to your house uh, and you're dealing with contractors, which, you know, I'm not saying that contractors are really bad. I'm just saying that he's a good one. 
thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So like right now, actually with the storms, I was up in Iowa last week. Um, Cedar Rapids, a little known hurricane in land. And, um, and did a, a bunch of estimates for a whole bunch of people and hopefully going to get them, get all their stuff fixed up before the snow comes. Cause I hear that <laughs> comes quickly and is not nice. Yeah, it would suck if the storm if the if yeah. the winter comes and your roof's not there, you know. It's yes, a bit yes, of a problem. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. But, um, yes, indeed. Well, thank you so much for your 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 vote of confidence. And <laughs> 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 um, yeah, yeah. I, I really I hope one day, David, you maybe run for something <clears throat> local over there in in Louisiana because you know just to, in today's world, good people need to be in in. In positions to do good things and mm. you know i go i go through this john maxwell thing and they, they have this joke and i don't know if john maxwell or tony robbins or which one or, or they say you know i want to i want to do a lot of good and they said get rich first because you can do a lot more good with money than you can without wow and <laughs> and so they kind of tell, tell the people you know just put the work in and, and and then the result the fruits of your labor can can then go on and do the good work that you want to do but it, it's just that i, I think that we as a, as a country, not to get into too much politics, but as a country, I think we we just generally lack leadership at at so many levels. Um, and people like you, uh, you know, if they if we need people like you in in more places, like what you did with those kids, and that kind of stuff needs to be noticed. And people who are willing to do that, and not just willing but mm-hmm. capable uh, of doing that, because just because you want to do something doesn't mean you can. It just means you want to. <laughs> you know. So yeah. True. Anyway. True. So if you ever decide to run for office, let me know. I'll vote. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I try and do what I say, and so that's kind of complicated. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yep. 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 Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for having me on here, and um, and thank you for all the wonderful accolades, uh, and um, positive notes and thoughts. Um, um, you know, I do hope that that um that something i said you know bring some thoughts and and some ideas in people's minds yeah and and at minimum just so you know it it brought thoughts and ideas to mind so Mm -hmm. i mean i'm thrilled that we got to catch up and and um, yeah it's just good talking to you man we i mean it's been 20 something years (laughs) that we haven't seen each other you know i know 